everyone, this is Viv, and you're listening to the What Gives Podcast. Hey everyone, so we are back with the last episode for Asian Pacific Heritage Month, and I have with me John, who is one of my friends from college, and he's just been doing amazing things in the community, such as working with Eastside Stories, which is a nonprofit in New York City that is sharing stories from the Asian American community, and just highlighting a lot of resources and education about our community, and I just thought it would be amazing to have him on the show and talk a little bit more about all of the things that are going on in our community right now. So welcome, John. Thanks for joining me. Thanks, Viv. Yeah, definitely excited to be here and happy to speak on what I can regarding the API community and where we're going, what we're doing, and Eastside Stories, and let's do it. So I know East Side Stories is relatively new, and I would love if you could tell us more about your mission and who y'all are and what you're aiming to do in New York City. Yeah, I can I can even redo, honestly, the mission verbatim. Um, <laughs> love it. Do it. East Side Stories serves to create a foundation upon which emerging AAPI creatives can write their stories and pursue their professional aspirations by providing learning opportunities, community outreach, and meaningful filmmaking and storytelling. And really this is kind of a way of saying like, there's a huge kind of gap that existed in what was being shown on the screen in the movies, in documentaries, in film, in terms of like Asian storytelling. And oftentimes we've seen how those stories can be either marred or changed or inauthentic and there's a world that east side stories kind of sees where you know we want api communities to be represented equally within creative industries but also feel like they're empowered enough to represent those stories authentically to the, the widespread and mainstream audience and you know i think you and i both can relate to this growing up in the midwest but oftentimes when you grow up and your stories are not told in an authentic fashion and you're not really seeing representation of people that you can look up to that you see yourself in it kind of creates a lot of self-inflicting harm against yourself and against your own personal biases and judgments even within your own culture and within your own people and obviously that goes into a much larger conversation about like topics ranging from like social justice to you know childhood trauma and stuff like that but i think a lot of a lot of it can really be rooted back down to just representation and doing it authentically so that when you see people that you want to aspire to, you're doing it from a lens of like, hey, I can actually realistically see myself. Yeah, that makes sense. And I feel like a lot of the efforts that are coming out right now has to do with storytelling and representation. And all of it does tie in with a social justice problem, right? Like we are facing such huge issues right now involving racial violence against our community. And I think sometimes people miss the gap of why is representation such a big deal or why it's our main problem now. And it's it's mostly because if we we don't speak up and we don't let our stories be heard, that we, we become sort of a stereotype that people can attack. So if you could talk to me a little bit more about, you know, what's going on in New York City right now and just how it has impacted you and the community and how it's influenced your work. Yeah, for sure. I mean, in the media, Asians are typically portrayed as unathletic, meek, and soft-spoken, and particularly in Hollywood. 
And there's been a lot of research that shows us that these kind of betrayals have had an adverse impact, particularly this year, that's empowered others to abuse AAPIs verbally and more often physically in places like New York and San Francisco and throughout America. With content and social media and film, this issue really pertains to AAPIs specifically. Oftentimes, AAPIs are viewed as a monolith group, but truthfully, outside of Asian cultures existing on the same continent, there's really not that much that holds us all together outside of that. In reality, there's over 30 different Asian cultures, there's over 100 different languages, and we all represent vastly different histories, culture, and people. You know, you can be Vietnamese, you can be Cambodian, Hmong, Bengali, Korean, Chinese, Japanese. But at the end of the day, like, we're all put into the same bucket we looked at on the outside as Asian American. So, so to me, like, you know, that, that's, that stems from an education issue. Personally, and I don't know about you, you can probably confirm with me this, and I, I would stand to bet that this would be the case for most Americans, but I, I was never really educated on Asian American history growing up, not in my school systems, really not in my, like, own communities. And so I didn't really grow up knowing what it felt like to have a place in society. I didn't really feel like my history was a part of America itself. But Furthermore, what's even kind of worse in a way or more damaging is that I don't really know. I'm Chinese. I'm ethnically Chinese. My parents are immigrants from China, but I don't, I couldn't really tell you the first thing about history in China itself. I was never educated in that capacity either. And my lived experience as someone who is Chinese American is vastly different from someone who's born in China and grew up there in that country. And what we've seen gone down in regards to the stereotypes of Asian Americans is that we've taken a very small sample size of people that don't actually represent people that really live in America, and especially in regards to the virus and it originating supposedly in Wuhan and our former president perpetuating the idea that the virus is one that permeates to all people from China. What we've seen that gone down is that this has been extrapolated to kind of represent people that all look like Asian people in descent. And, you know, in New York City, around the country over the past 18 months, we've seen so many examples and cases to the point where you could open up Instagram, go online and look at the news and realistically see examples almost on a daily basis of just some either verbal harassment or a, a grandmother getting burned, someone getting kicked, a store owner getting robbed, someone having something in extremely negative fashion done to them simply because they're Asian. And that's and that's kind of the issue, right? And so we can go into a lot of different reasons why this continues to be the case, but understanding history and like the contributions Asian Americans have made to that history, what we can even do in terms of solutions are super important, I think, especially during this time, just because there's so many opportunities for us to, to continue improving. Yeah. And, you know, in speaking about my own upbringing, I actually had a completely opposite upbringing. I was, well, I went to high school in Detroit. And if you know about Detroit, it's kind of a big epicenter of the Asian civil rights movement with Grace Lee Boggs and Yuri Kochiyama working with Malcolm X. And so I did grow up um, knowing about a lot of Asian American history. And then as a Vietnamese, a kid of Vietnamese refugees, I actually knew a lot about the Vietnam War because there was... I think a rise of books and poetry about being a Vietnamese American. So I, I did know a lot about my identity, but where it stopped for me was in the professional space, right? And that's where I've been trying to find my voice as someone who is Asian in the nonprofit and philanthropy space. And there's not a lot of us, right? 
So that's kind of where I hit a wall. And so I think all of us hit a wall somewhere with our Asian identity where we don't feel like we belong. And like you said, we're so we're viewed in a monolithic lens. And, and we still, we still have such different experiences, even you and I going to the same university had different experiences, right? So it is important for us to share our stories. And I I love what you're doing in terms of sharing Asian stories. And I do want to talk more about East Side stories and sort of the things that y'all have been doing to move your mission forward and kind of the current impact of East Side stories right now. Yeah, with Eastside Stories, we're kind of trying to tackle a lot of projects. So much of what we do is really living on social media and also within the filmmaking world right now. We started with a short film that we created last year, and we called it The Essential Delivery. And it was it was a film that we wanted to tell a story of what it was like to be an essential worker during the pandemic if you were Asian. And we really wanted to highlight the fact that in New York, and this goes into the model minority myth, in New York, the poorest group are Chinese people, right? They have, they live the lowest income level of any group in New York City. And most people don't associate them with think about Asian people and Chinese people, right? We think of the model minority myth that we're the most affluent group when we see those statistics and charts. But the danger behind those things are that it doesn't tell you the full story. We also have the largest income disparity of any group. And so there's a lot of people that represent people that are here in America that do have a lot of money. But there's also an immense amount of people that came here as immigrants and are struggling to get by paycheck to paycheck, running their own business, and not really feeling like they have an ability to escape that system. And when the pandemic hit, these people, in large part, were also the victims of a lot of the attacks that were occurring against Asian Americans because they were the people that were on the street. They were the people that people had touch points to with running businesses within the city. These are the people that like, you know, were the most vulnerable and the most frail. And some one thing I think about a lot is like, you know, if you don't really feel like there's an answer or a solution that's addressing the problems you see in society, sometimes you have to go create those solutions yourself. And so we're doing that across the continent, across the board. We're working on a documentary right now that kind of tells a story of just, it's called The Walk-On. And we wanted to showcase a story of a basketball player. Asian people are often under thought of as kind of being unathletic, right? But we found a story of a person who was 5'7", and he walked onto a college basketball team, and they won a national championship, and he went on to go start his own businesses, and climb the corporate ladder and do really well in New York City. And it's it's just a very uplifting story of just showcasing like, hey, like, just because you're born with certain cards and people think of you a certain way, you don't have to feel like those are shackles that chain you into a certain type of loop, right? And we're doing those things on YouTube as well, Instagram, Put, we try to put out educational content, content that you know, helps build up the skills of aspiring Asian creatives that allow them to you know, work on the skill sets and grow as a community. And ultimately, the dream is like, hey, if we build a community and we build up a core of creatives that are doing things at a high level like this, that in the future, we'll be able to tell our own stories, we'll be able to tell our own movies, we'll be able to create our own Mulans, right? And like do our own things that people, when they see them, it's like very authentically true to themselves. One thing that this pandemic has also done is it's kind of helped unite a lot of Asian people. I think that historically, and there's a lot of reasons why, but it's been difficult to to see that coalition of people working together towards a common goal. 
because of the things we discussed earlier in terms of like people just have very different lived experiences. But if we can get together, I do think that there's a lot of promise and hope. Yeah. And I love what y'all do on your social media, like ESS, if y'all could just give them a follow, it's at Eastside Stories NYC. And they, you know, like they post stuff on K-pop stars, like Asian American foods or unpopular foods or Asian fruits, just like little cultural tidbits that kind of help you get to know the community a little bit more. It's honestly genius. I mean, I even learned stuff from that just because like you said, we're not monolithic and our culture are also different from each other. I'll just give them a shout out to Joyce and Joanne, like on our Instagram, like they're absolutely killing it. And I, I think, I just think that like, it's so strange. You know what I mean? Like, don't you feel like this outlet of kind of like content should have always existed somewhere? Uh, it would have been so helpful, like in college and high school to see that kind of stuff. And for some reason it just isn't, you know, and that's something that in the future, we're just going to continue to try to grow. Yeah, I, I really like where content and just creative media has gone because it's now become more educational than just entertainment. Of course, entertainment is just as important for highlighting stories, but I, I do love where it's going and I absolutely love y'all's page. I do want to go back to talking about the stuff that you're doing for your community. And if you're if someone is in New York or not in New York, how can they reach out and how can they help? Yeah, so to answer your first question about like what we've been doing for the community, to take it like a, a little bit back, I initially got my start kind of like in activism, really actually through working on a YouTube channel. I was I was the creative director at the Fun Bros over in LA. Oh my gosh, that's so cool! I like watch all of their videos while I'm eating dinner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah right like they make a lot of great food content you know honestly like there's definitely times where i miss the the free food that, that i got from working over them yeah and their their whole series on cheap eats in new york and trying to highlight restaurants in chinatown to like help them during the pandemic was so good so good yes yes yeah it's, originally when i when i was going to work for them at the time it came from like this desire inherently because I was working a corporate job and I would like go to work every day and I would kind of like sit there and be like, man, like, why is it like nobody really looks like me here? Nobody really wants to do the same things I want to do for fun. Like no one really seems to understand the feelings of being outcasted um, or just, just what it felt like to be Asian and all. Right. And a lot of the feelings of injustices that I faced during that period of time, like whether it be at the workplace or outside of work, I realized came down to the fact that it was the fact that I was Asian. It was the fact that many people don't touch points to being Asian. One quote that I kind of really kind of, kind of like live by now is like, when we have proximity to something, it breeds cheer. But when you're distant to something, it breeds fear. All right. Proximity breeds cheer. Distance breeds fear. I felt like I was so distant to many people were just distant to really having Asian people in their lives or Asian people within their own communities or circles. And so it didn't, it was never really an, an issue or didn't really feel like a really pertinent issue to care about being Asian. And so I, I kept looking at this issue and I was like, well, the only real way to change this is try to like actually get more people in front of the screen and get more people that authentically represent us on the screen. So that was kind of my first experience over in LA. I ended up working with them, the Fumbers for over a year. I was like shooting all their videos. I was editing like a lot of their videos. We made like over a hundred videos in a year. 
probably ate at 80% of the Asian restaurants in LA. And eventually it got to the point where I started to get opportunities to do other things. And yeah, in New York, like when the shooting happened in, in Atlanta, mm-hmm. we helped, we organized a rally and that experience was really, really amazing because it helped open my eyes up to how many people truly were capable of caring. But when I saw how many people showed up, there was like over 10,000 people that came to that rally. There were like people from Andrew Yang to Chuck Schumer to local politicians and like uh, rappers and artists and nonprofit leaders. And seeing that experience, it was like, it's not the fact that people aren't educated. It's that they just really want to see examples of people kind of spearheading the change and then they'll follow, they'll, they'll guide the train. And so that kind of gave me hope because it just showed me that like, if we continue to do the work of actually like driving the train, then there will be people that follow and there will be people that help amplify that over time. And, and that's kind of like the work that we're doing now is like, you know, whether it be like showing up to smaller organized settings or smaller meetings, or even in your own corporate jobs or corporate circles, like finding your voice to step up and infiltrate those circles and speaking up and not letting opportunities go to waste where you can have a larger conversation. That's super important as well. I, I remember like I work at the NBA now in social media and I remember it was like my third day on the job and it was probably like two weeks after the shooting happened in Atlanta that we had a kind of a town hall within like the organization and we were asking around like, you know, if there's anyone that wanted to share their thoughts and no one was really speaking up. And I kind of looked at myself and was like, it doesn't matter if you're three days into a company. These are the times where you got to speak up because if you don't, people might not ever really hear a point of view that you have to have that might be really constructive. And so I did. And, and, and that's one of those things where I look back and I'm like, I'm very thankful. I'm very appreciative of the fact that I did that because there, there's all sorts of different ways that anyone can make a difference. You know, you don't always have to start a nonprofit. You don't always have to you know, be the loudest voice in the room, but when you do take opportunities to not allow the same patterns of events continue to go by, this is something that actually made a difference and impact. And um, I think that is sometimes even more more important than like the impact you make in just your your career, right? Like you couldn't pay me enough money to be silent about being Asian American for the rest of my career, right? Even like this podcast, it's like it's not. You're not getting paid to do this podcast. You're not getting paid to do a podcast um, for your normal career. It's not part of your normal job. But if you believe in something, then you have to go put in the work outside of it to to drive it forward, forward and make it go forward. Otherwise, it's not going to take its legs, right? And so that's kind of how I view like Asian representation. You have to find ways to step up outside of your normal comfort zone to see that impact and change. Right. And, and you're so right in that, like, there's something everyone can do outside of their community. And in my last episode, we talked about an, an ecosystem of change making or movement. And there's storytellers like you and I, there's people who work in nonprofit or people who just speak up within their corporate space. There's even spaces for people who are introverts and don't want to literally speak up, but they want to create an Instagram page with educational materials or they want to write. So like there's so many things that everybody can do. And I love that you made that point. And I do want to talk more about Asian Pacific American Heritage Month 
and what it means to you and why it's so important to celebrate. Yeah. What have you been doing for, for this month? I think a lot of the importance of any month is using it as an opportunity to help educate people that may not normally be part of your community on what it is like to be a part of your community in terms of the history, the lived experience, the present day, and where you're going towards in the future. What we see on social media specifically in terms of the way that you do learn things and you do consume content, you know, because I work in social media is that like, it's a, it can be a very toxic space, right? Bad news travels 10 times faster than good news. And social media is designed to get you to kind of like share, spread the information that you see. And so we often end up witnessing the worst and extremes of a group. So I wanted to really educate not only the people within our own community, but people that are outside of our community about their histories. Because, I mean, I get that you you learned it in Detroit growing up, but like I, I honestly speaking did not really learn a lot of these things. That I, like, I didn't know what the Page Act was of 1875. For those that don't know, it banned nearly all East Asian women from immigrating to the U.S. due to the hypersexualization of China and Chinese women at the time. I didn't know what the Chinese Exclusion Act of 1882 was, which to this day remains the only law that prevented all members of a specific ethnicity from immigrating to the United States. And then the list goes on, right? Like we can talk about like Executive Order 9066. We can talk about like so many examples of these things. We can even talk about all the examples of things that just occurred in the past 18 months alone. Just the educational process. Also, amplifying a lot of other people's efforts you know i think that reaching out and and working with other people and your own internal communities has been really important and and just in general like like i said earlier like infiltrating our your own personal systems and not accepting the status quo that we're not going to celebrate asian pacific american heritage month Um, a lot of companies still don't even celebrate it right this is the first time that there are many corporate companies across America are literally celebrating Asian Pacific American Heritage Month because of the fact that people are finally taking a chance to step up. And the more that that we do that, the more people are going to see us and hear us. So, Yeah, I'll admit that I have never personally celebrated. But yeah, Asian Pacific American Heritage Month is so important. And even I didn't realize it until now. Oftentimes we mirror uh, as Asian people our collective identity in terms of social justice through the black community and one of the names you mentioned earlier and i do want to amplify it further just because of how significant i think it is is yuri kochiyama um this is a woman that i think of a lot in terms of what i've learned over the past year in terms of just like this is an example of someone who worked with an Af- the african-american community whose parents were victims of the japanese internment camps of world war ii and when Malcolm X worked with Malcolm X and there's the infamous picture of her that like, laying with Malcolm X in his arms when he got assassinated. And a lot of, I think a lot of times Asian Americans just don't really have, feel like they know what to do. And to any, anyone that feels that way, I would just say, you know, we can look at a lot of the activism and, and work that's been done in, in the black community and see that that's like a huge like guidance and stepping stone. And not only that, working with them, like working with other minority groups working with other like groups in general just to like infiltrate those systems and do those things is also very very important last episode we talked so much about solidarity and unity and how important it is to have those things in a movement 
to move it forward and to also help each other in the spaces that where we experience the same things. I learned a lot about how the Filipino community, for example, which is part of the Asian Pacific American community, how they experience lynching and white violence when they immigrated here. And that very much mirrors the, the things that African Americans have gone through in history. So yeah, solidarity is something that is so key. So I do want to get a little personal and talk to you about, you know, why you do what you do, how this passion was sparked in you. I don't know if it was college or a significant event, but yeah, why do you do what you do? There was, there was one moment that it kind of like still irks me to this day. That, that kind of was a pivotal moment, but it, I would be remiss to say that there were not an amalgamation of lots of moments just growing up as a child where in my entire school system, I was pretty much the only Asian kid in my entire grade. And the lived experience of growing up in that system was just very, very difficult. Just experiencing everything from being bullied to being emasculated, like to being left out, to being made fun of, you know, getting called all the names, getting called all the slurs, never really going to prom. Just just all the things that we, you know, we've we've heard about and we've spoken about. This is the experience for a lot of Asian kids in America, right? One of the things that about being Asian that was super important always was getting a good degree, getting a good job and getting making money so that you can like live your own life. Right. And that was like the number one thing that was always on any Asian student's mind was to, to be achievement oriented in that sense. And so when I went to graduate college, I got a finance job and it was like the job that I, I was super proud of to, to have got. My parents were super proud of me for achieving it. You know, I felt like I had finally done something with my life, right? Like that I could look back on and be like, you know, this is of significance. And I remember like one month into the job, I was sitting in a meeting, three of us in the room, between the two directors, one, one was black and one was white, but I was the only Asian person in the room, right? And at one point I was asking them for clarification on something. And one of the directors put their arms on my shoulder and said, you know, John, I would speak Japanese to you if I could to, so that you could understand better. Unfortunately, I don't know how to speak Japanese. No way. And that was just a moment where it was like, it was so, it was, it's really messed up for multiple reasons, right? Like, like I said, I'm not Japanese, I'm Chinese. But furthermore, I definitely don't need you to speak a different language for me to understand that. But it's the fact that you've explicitly viewed me as being Asian and being a foreigner and then use that in terms of like your mentality and thinking of why I need help in terms of understanding something that, you know, it, it, it froze me. And I didn't say anything at the time because I almost didn't know what to say. And that was the impetus that made me want to leave my job because it was like when I was thinking about like what I could do, well, it's like. You know, I could say something to my manager, which I did, but that's not going to change. That's not going to make that. That didn't make the director change his viewpoints or change what he was saying. Or, you know, it's not like he's going to lose his job from doing that. Like, um, but it's a totally an unacceptable thing to do. But when you're so underrepresented within a corporate structure of a company like that, and you're also in a culture that that's really not something that people are going to change, like. It just made me realize like, well, there's nothing, there's nothing I could ever do with this company specifically that would actually change anything that caused this happening. Right. Yeah. That's kind of what fueled me. And the thing that keeps me going to this day is just like looking back at that kid that was like bullied and harassed just for literally being Asian and knowing that like 
so much of this is just because people don't see touch points of what a normal Asian American is. And until we get to that point, like that, that kid is always going to be that way. Yeah, I think every single Asian kid I know has like one story where they feel like an outsider. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, I I relate to that story a lot. And before we leave off, I do want you to, you know, share with us some wisdom that you have found in your work, any mantras or lessons you've learned that, that you really want to share or that you think is important for the listeners to know. Get out of your comfort zone. Sometimes you just have to suspend logic and invite magic into your life. If disappointing your parents is what it takes to do that, do it. The best things in life exist when you pursue the things that you fear and create more than you complain. Oh, I love that. This whole podcast platform is for me to complain. No, I'm just kidding. But you're creating something in making this podcast. So, <laughs> you know, I would put that overall in that bucket. Oh, I love that. Thank you so much. I loved hearing your story and all of the wisdom that you just shared right there. There's like many things like disappoint your parents, complain and create. <laughs> but thank you so much. It was great having you on. Thanks, Viv. Check out our podcast. Midwest people doing big things in big cities in America. It's possible. Let's go. <laughs>